like coming to an end? I mean, besides the sermon every week. You know, what, what do you not like coming to an end? You know, maybe a good book, good movie, good TV show, maybe a good walk, a, a good run. I don't know, is there a good run? I guess that's a thing. A good vacation. How about a, a good bowl of fresh clam chowder? The Lobster Claw Restaurant in Orleans, Massachusetts has been serving up fresh seafood since 1962. It's right there in the Cape Cod area. It has been voted over and over again as the most family-friendly restaurant in Cape Cod. By its own definition, the restaurant says it is cheerful and unpretentious, which in Dow language, that means happy and humble. I like eating at a happy and humble place. Don and Mary Lou Berg clawed their way to the top 51 years ago. They are now going to take their claws out of the restaurant business and claw their way down to Jupiter, Florida for a little R&R. The Lobster Claw will close its claws on September 13th. And the family clawed out a little note for everybody this week. And yes, I can keep this claw thing going all day long. This is what their note said. So many great friends have been made and the Bergs will miss you all so much. But all good things must come to an end. Now, for those folks who live in that area, I am sure that the Lobster Claw has been a good thing for that community. And they probably are mourning the loss of a good thing. They're mourning the loss of a place that they can go and, and talk loud and, and eat well and laugh often and get a good bowl of chowder. They're, they're, they're probably mourning. But is there any truth to that statement? Is it true that all good things come to an end? There's actually one thing, one terrific amazing, fantabulous thing that does not come to an end. One thing that can't be brought to an end. A pandemic cannot bring it to an end. An election cannot bring it to an end. A health issue cannot bring it to an end. A hybrid school schedule cannot bring it to an end. A canceled sports season cannot bring it to an end. A socially distanced church cannot bring it to an end. Nothing can bring it to an end. Now, at the very least, something that has anything to do with not being brought to an end, a good thing, seems like something we should at least look at, right? So what is this thing, this good thing, that cannot come to an end? And Apostle Paul is going to help us find out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Paul writes this, Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never quits. Love never ends. It can't happen. Ever. Never, never. Now, some people rightly say that you need to be careful using the word never. Sometimes it can get you in trouble. Like, you should never say never again. Never. Or, never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down from someone telling them to calm down. Right? I mean, we, we know this. Never. 
Love, though, is the only thing that we can use, the only word that we can use, never with. We can use never-ending love. Why? Because love is not your idea. And love is not my idea. We didn't come up with the idea of love. The love that Paul's talking about here, it's not an intimate love, it's not a family love, it's not a friend love. It's what's known as agape love. Someone has said that this is God's kind of love, that agape love is is God's kind of love. It's a love that makes the deliberate choice to consider the needs of others. A deliberate choice to to look out and move toward the interest of other people. Now, if we just look at, let's just say, our country over the last three months, would we say that mostly what we see is a desire, deliberate, to look out for the interest of others? If we just look at our own homes for the last three months, our own families, our own friend group, Can we say that mostly what we've seen is a desire, a deliberate desire to look out for the interest of others? Are we willing to say that if it were left up to humanity, that humanity would be quick to say, let everybody do everything for the interest of others? Or does it make more logical, rational sense to say that this kind of love has to come from outside of us. Apostle John was writing to some churches just like this one and others, and this is what he said. He said, love is from God, and God is love. Love is from God, and God is love. Love did not begin with your parents or your grandparents. Love did not begin with Romeo and Juliet. Love did not begin with the Beatles. Love did not begin with that cute boy in the fifth grade and didn't begin with that cute girl in the ninth grade. Love didn't even begin with bacon, okay? That that lets you know how serious this is, okay? No, love began with God, is owned by God, and is defined by God. It's his nature. It's who he is. Now listen, from the the redneck living in a single wide and a muddy swamp to the aristocrat living in a $25 million estate on Cape Cod, everybody has some notion of respect for the concept of love. Everybody has some notion of respect for love. But when we say that love began with God, that it's owned by God, that it's defined by God, that's a different kind of concept for love. Completely different. C.S. Lewis said this about what Christians believe about love. They believe that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. God's love has been going on forever, and God's kind of love creates everything else. That is a concept of love that is outside of ourselves. 
It's outside of, of how we think and how we plan and what we do. It is outside of who we are. All good things might come to an end, but the love of God is not just a good thing. It is the thing. The book will end. The movie will end. The TV series will end. The sports season will end. The school year will end. The bowl of chowder will end. Eventually, the Baptist church will end. The Presbyterian church will end. The Methodist church will end. Our jobs will end. Our homes will end. Even our lives will end. But the love of God cannot end. Because like its owner, it was and it is and it is to come. And so it might be most correct to say this, that, that love didn't begin with God because God has no beginning and no end and neither does love. Love has no beginning and no end because it comes from God. That is a concept of love outside of ourselves. Outside of how we think, outside of how we plan, outside of what we do. C.S. Lewis went on to describe the difference between God's kind of love and, and our kind of love. He said this, But the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, His love for us does not. He says this, it is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to Him. Listen, just try to be honest with your own heart and mind. Even on our best days, we get weary and indifferent with our love toward our spouse or our parents or our kids or our friends, even on our best days. And when that person in your family or that person in your neighborhood or that person that you work with or, or go to school with or go to church with, when that person disagrees with your opinions on politics or pandemics, or peach pie, or whatever else it is you're talking about. We, we have a way of being relentless, just not really in love. It's a different kind of relentlessness that we have then. But the love of God does not get weary. It doesn't get indifferent. And His love is relentless. His love is relentless. And His love for you comes with a price. And, and what is the price? One day Jesus was teaching and he said this, For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his, his only begotten Son, His one and only Son, that whoever believes in, whoever relies on, whoever trusts in, whoever clings to His Son will not perish, will not come to destruction, but will have eternal, everlasting, satisfying, life. That's, that's the cost of love. Now, now that cost, what, what God did in giving his son, it's, it's not cosmic child abuse, as an author said years ago. No, that is the love of a father for you. That's a love of the Savior for you. It's, it's love. It's a love that's from outside of us. 
It's, it's not a love that, that we can put together. It's a love from outside that has a relentless determination to rescue you and save you and redeem you and satisfy you and bring you from the outside, inside, away from the storm of sin and death. That's, that's the love of God. Our love and our feelings, they come and go. But the love of God, it just goes and it goes with relentless determination. It goes and it goes and it goes. It pursues, as David said, with goodness and loving kindness all the days of our lives. Someone has said that our definition of love is fluid. And it kind of comes and goes, but, but God's definition of love is concrete. It can't change. It won't change. It's never changed. It will never change. And that concept of love is outside of us. Love never fails. Love never quits. Love never ends. Never. Paul wants us to, to see how amazing this love is compared to other things that are amazing that we tend to maybe sometimes love too much. Look what he says going on in verse 8. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Why does Paul pull these three gifts into the conversation? Well, here's why. Because they're pretty powerful. They're pretty cool. They're extremely helpful, and they're extremely dangerous all at the same time. So, how are they dangerous? Well, let's just look at each one briefly to just try to see how there's danger in these good gifts. We'll start with prophecy. Prophecy is when someone, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is able to pull back the curtain, so to speak, and help people catch a glimpse of the mysteries of God. Mysteries that in some way, shape, or form have already been revealed in some way in God's book, the Bible. Prophecy is not when someone predicts that if a certain candidate is elected president, that the world's going to end in 78 days. Okay, It's not prophecy. Prophecy is not when Reverend Claude Henry Smoot, you know, pulls some guy named Jim Bob out of an audience and predicts that he has a headache and slaps him on the head and heals him. It's not prophecy. Prophecy is not when you get a phone call or an email or a letter in the mail saying that this particular group needs you to plant a seed, to give a little money, a little seed money, and God will bless you if you do. That's not prophecy. I read a story about a, a man in Houston, Texas that actually got a letter like that. And it was one of these letters that, you know, for some type of religious broadcast, and, and they needed this huge amount of money to stay on the air. And they said they had figured out that if every person who got that letter would just send $76, that they would be fine and everything would be great, and that God was going to bless them if they gave because you can't outgive God. The guy that got that letter wrote them back. This is what he said. Sir, I believe what you have written. I believe it is true that God cannot be outgiven. And I believe you have a tremendous need for funds. 
but I would like to suggest that you send me the $76 and God will give it back to you three times over. You can get rid of your debt a lot faster that way. There you go. That's it. Prophecy is not smoke and mirrors and fancy letters trying to convince someone to woo them, so to speak, to you or to your church or to your group. And, and if you do and if they do, oh, they'll, they'll be blessed. That's, that's not prophecy. Now, are there moments when there are signs and wonders, where there are prophetic things that happen that, that are hard to explain, that, that really calls us to sit and wonder, wow, what is the reality of life? What is the reality of death? What is the reality of God and his way of doing things? Are there moments like that that we can't explain, that we can't just pull a Bible verse out and say, oh, no, this is not this and this is this? Sometimes there's moments like that. But generally speaking, prophecy needs to pass the J-teen test. What is the J-teen test? It's nothing. I made it up, but, but it, it is something. The J team test is filtering everything through John 16, verses 13 and 14. J team test. Here's what Jesus said, John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And then Jesus says this in verse 14. He will glorify me... For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to get us to raise our hands when we hear a certain kind of music, although that's fine. But that's not the primary purpose of the Spirit. The primary purpose of the Spirit is not to have give us some kind of magical presence of religious vibes when we hear a certain person pray or a certain person sing or a certain person preach. That's, that's not the picture that we have. What we have of the Holy Spirit is that His purpose, His primary purpose is to bring attention to Jesus. And so we put any prophecy, anything really, through, through this picture, through this test, so to speak. Is this prophecy bringing attention first and most to Jesus the Christ? Is this prophecy consistent with, in line with, the overall truth that God has helped us to find in his book, the Bible? Or is this prophecy primarily trying to get people to one preacher or one church or one city or one state or one country or, or one blurry image of something on a grilled cheese sandwich. What is this prophecy drawing our attention to? True prophecy. Prophecy that is Jesus consistent. Prophecy that is spirit equipped. Prophecy that is biblically inspired. That kind of prophecy is a gift from God. But prophecy will end. Paul's not accidentally saying this. Prophecy will end. But love, love will not end. Love never fails. Love never quits. Love never ends. Paul brings up prophecy and he brings up tongues. What, what about tongues? Well, in the Bible, we don't see a pattern of tongues being speaking gibberish to people, making them feel like you've got some really cool access to God. 
Now, in the Bible, the, the pattern that we see is the ability to speak in tongues is, is when someone, again, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit, has the ability to understand, to translate, to interpret an unlearned language. That's the pattern that we see in the Bible. Again, the J-Team test is, is helpful, okay? It's like, okay, so is this tongue drawing attention to Jesus? Is it bringing attention? Is this moment bringing attention to Jesus first and most? Is, is this consistent with, in line with, the overall truth of God that we see in the Bible? Or is first and most, this is something that's verbally and, and visually exciting and amazing and it's, it's stirring emotion, but it's completely unintelligible. And nobody can make any spiritual, rational interpretation of it. If so, then, then we have to struggle a little bit with that picture of tongues. Now, there are people that I respect that, that have a different view of that. And, and this side of heaven, it's okay for us to disagree. And on the other side of heaven, we won't talk about it at all. You know why? Because the true gift of tongues, Jesus consistent, spirit equipped, biblically you know, inspired, that, that type of tongue is a gift from God. But tongues will end. Over. But love will not end. Love never fails. Love never quits. Love never ends. Of prophecy and tongues, and Paul also throws in knowledge. What about knowledge? Well, knowledge is the ability, again, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to write a 1,264-page systematic theology textbook on an 8th grade reading level. I mean, I'm kind of kidding. But, but it is this picture of, of someone's ability by the kindness of God to take the, the wide range of biblical truth and be able to understand almost all of it. To be able to, to make all the connections and, and be able to explain it and, and teach it, to delineate it to dissect it, to do everything you can. I mean, in my life, I've only known like, you know, 3.5 people that I think have, you know, this gift. What's the point five? Well, one of them is crazy, and so I don't know if I'm supposed to take away a half a point or add a half a point, so I just went with 3.5, okay? But this, this picture of, of being able to, to take God's truth and and pull all of it together. Look, I'm, I'm not the smartest lace in the shoe. I need people like this, okay? I, I need people to help me think through the big picture of God's truth. And there's people that can do that. True, Jesus-consistent, spirit-equipped, biblically-inspired knowledge, it is a gift from God. But it will not last forever. Love will. Love does not fail. Love does not quit. Love does not end. And Paul's going to pull us a little deeper into this because he, he really wants us to get it. Look what he says in verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. We can listen to sermons today. We can listen to podcasts today. We can go buy us a good study Bible. We can even go to seminary. There's some, some things we can do today, some, some knowledge, some, some things that we can get a partial understanding of it. But the partial, Paul says, even that will one day go away. Why? Because the perfect will come. 
So what's the perfect? Well, there's a few views out there, but, but I would say that it's kind of hard to get away from the overarching message of the Bible that Jesus is coming again. The perfect is when God makes all things right, all things new in and through Jesus. Jesus is coming again. Why does that matter? This is what Jesus said in John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Anybody troubled today? Anybody troubled over politics? Anybody troubled over the pandemic? Anybody troubled with having to wear a mask everywhere you go? Anybody troubled with sports or or troubled with school or or troubled with health? Anybody have any trouble? Jesus says something very interesting to us. He says, yeah, don't do that. Don't, Don't be troubled. Kind of big sentence, Jesus. Come on, we'll help. I think he is helping. Do not be troubled. Look, we're not perfect, okay? That's not going to happen all the time. But are we in the ball game? Are we in the ballpark of not being troubled? Because this is an instruction from the person we call our Savior and our King and our Lord and our friend. And he says, hey, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. But what does he say? Believe in God and believe in me. Believe in me. And why should you do that? He goes on to tell him, John 14, 2 and 3. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I'm trying to oversell it, but, but I kind of feel like that's the perfect right there. Being with Jesus is, is the perfect. Listen, if you've been saved, if you've been rescued, if you've been redeemed, if Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, your friend, your King, then everything that Paul is saying to us and everything that Jesus is saying to us and everything about the message of the Bible says to us, hey, do not let your heart be troubled with 2020. I mean, I mean really, This is Jesus saying, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. Why? Because Jesus has prepared a place for you. For you. Have you ever been to a a luncheon or or maybe away on a a retreat somewhere and, and when you get to your table or you get to your room, there's a sign that has your name on it? Years ago, Karen and I went on some kind of pastor's retreat. I think it was like an overnight thing up in, in Flat Rock, North Carolina. And I remember it was at this, you know, kind of mountain resort place. And when we got there, you know, we went upstairs. And when we went in our room and opened the door, you know, there was a, a, a note on the door that had, you know, our name on it. And you went inside, and there was this big gift basket. I mean, I'm all about a snack. I mean, I walk in, there's a basket of snacks. And every snack had a little sticker with my name on it. That's fantastic. It was my snack. I didn't share it. It was mine. No, I did. I shared. Um, but, but there's something about just, just having your name on something. There's something, no, hey, this one, this is for you. Jesus has promised that if you're his, he's prepared a place for you. 
This isn't a joke. This isn't a fairy tale. Jesus has promised with his blood, with his body, with his resurrection, Jesus has promised a place for you, for you, for you. And if that's true, then we have every reason to not let our heart be troubled. Our minds will be troubled. Our bodies will be troubled. Our attitudes may be troubled, but our our hearts do not need to be troubled. And then when we can remember for our heart not to be troubled, guess what? It changes our minds. It changes our attitudes. Sometimes it even changes our bodies. J.C. Ryle said this, Home is the place where we are loved to the end, never forgotten, and always welcome. I love that picture. Home is the place where we are loved to the end, never forgotten, and always welcome. Jesus says, I'm preparing a home for you. I'm preparing a place for you. But here's the kicker about the home of Jesus. Here's the kicker about being with Jesus. With Jesus, love never comes to an end. That's what Ryle said, right? He said, home is the place where we are loved to the end. There's no end with Jesus because we're loved to the end and then forever and ever and ever. There is no end. All good things, they may come to an end, but the love of Jesus is not just good. It's great. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It is satisfying. It's satisfying to your soul. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, then we would graciously say, let your heart be very, very, very troubled. Because in the midst of all that's happening in our chaotic world, please know that 2020 is kindness to you. Kindness from God to you. Because of all the craziness that is happening, None of it compares to the greatest terror in the universe. None of it. Because the greatest terror in the universe is being separated from God forever. So be very troubled and come to Jesus. And come to Jesus not just to to no longer be overwhelmed with anger or fear or apathy with everything that's happening around us. Come to Jesus so that you can be deeply, permanently, eternally loved. Come to Jesus to be loved. Dear Christian, 2020 is the year the Lord has made. I know we don't feel like that always. Lately, it doesn't feel like that at all, but but it is. 2020 is the year the Lord has made. Guess what? I'm going to say it again because it rattles us, and it should. 2020 is is the year the Lord has made. And because of the breath that we're breathing right now, because of our salvation, we have every reason to rejoice in the Lord. Every reason. Because of the love of Jesus. You know, something very interesting happened 242 days ago. There was a float in the Rose Parade called the Dodo Bird Flight School. Now, if you don't know anything about dodo birds, okay, they've been extinct since, according to my scientific research, around the 1600s, okay? So there's no more. And when they were here, they were flightless. Hence the humor of the dodo bird flight school. 
Laura Farber was the president of this year's parade, and she said this about uh, the message, the positive message behind that humorous float. She said this, with hope, anything, in fact, everything is possible. So, I mean, you know, if the dodo bird claws its way back into existence, hey, it's got its own flight school when it gets here. It's got something to look forward to. You know, something else interesting happened 242 days ago. 2019 ended. 2020 began. You know, something else interesting is going to happen in 123 days. 2020 is going to end. But the grace and the love and the mercy and the power and the hope and the beauty and the authority and the salvation of Jesus will never end. Never end. Why? Because the love of Jesus, by its nature and character, it will never fail. It will never quit. It will never end. Whatever we face today, let us do everything we can to grab hold of the love of Jesus because it will not end.